Welcome back to the Training Babble Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Dave Shell, and for better or for worse, we're joined by Ryan Cooper again today. Um, I think the people have spoken as the listens continue to decline, Ryan, so I think this might be your last show. Uh, I was surprised that I made it to a second show, so... <laughs> I'm, I think it's all upside for me personally. This is true. Yeah. I guess I'm the one that has to deal with the fallout. So, um, and so we're going to continue our series on power metric acronyms. Last time we talked, we finished up saying, uh, we kind of lied. We said we were going to talk about some other stuff, but we totally jumped over, right. Probably some of the biggest things that we need to talk about, which are training stress score and the performance management chart. Um, so just a quick recap, the things we've covered so far, we talked about power, talked about average power, normalized power, intensity factor, variability index. Um, yeah. And I think that covers off on those. And so you can, if you're not caught up, you can go back and listen to the previous episodes to, um, learn about those things, but those all lead into today where we're going to talk about, um, training stress scores, probably the star of this episode. Awesome, Dave. <laughs> no, I was going to say that it, it was funny that we we jumped over it last time because everything that we've talked about is leading up to the, <laughs> to the, yeah, the training yeah. chest score. It, is, it encapsulates all of those things pretty much, uh, you know, in, into one number uh, for each workout or each activity that you do. So. Exactly. And so on the last episode, we talked about intensity factor, which we said was essentially just a percentage of threshold. So if you go out and do a ride and you had a 0.75 IF, that would mean you your average was about um, 75% of your functional threshold power. Training stress score takes that idea a step further. And so rather than just looking at the intensity of a workout, we're also looking at the duration so that we can come up with a score. So if you use a platform like Training Peaks or um, Strava calls it the Suffer Score, it's essentially the same idea. It's just trying to give you a score so that you can know how impactful each workout was based on intensity and duration. Anything to add to that, Ryan? Uh, no, no. Um, and we, we can get in some of the nuances of it uh, as we go through it. Um, but it's worth noting potentially. So we, we talked about what goes into it. And so do you want to kind of step through the actual equation of it? I don't. Um, do you? <laughs> I will. <laughs> I, I, yeah. So I don't have the, I don't have the equation in front of me, but essentially it's looking at normalized power, which we said was an estimate of the metabolic cost. And as a reminder, normalized power is a 30 second rolling average the 30 second weighted rolling average of power um, that weights efforts close to and above threshold more heavily than um, efforts under threshold. So it's looking at normalized power and duration to come up with the score. So that's the quick and dirty description of it. So tell us the, uh, the long sure. description of this uh, formula. Yeah. So it, basically it's, it's trying to come up with a number that's somewhat analogous to, let's say you were going at FTP. So we've already discussed FTP previously, but if we know that FTP is an IF of, so if you're, if you're sitting at FTP, your functional threshold power for 60 minutes, so your IF is one, 
Intensity factor is one, so meaning that you're sitting right on your FTP. Uh, your normalized power in this case would also be FTP. So if you multiply um, basically an hour's worth of seconds, so let's say we have 3,600 seconds times your FTP times your IF, so your normalized power, sorry, so 3,600 times your normalized power, which let's say you're trying to hit your FTP for a full hour, right? So you'd have 3,600 times your normalized power times your IF, and all of that would be divided by your FTP times one hour, so times 3,600 again. So basically, all of that, if you were to write at FTP for an hour, would equal one. And then you multiply that by 100 to get the score. So essentially, if you were to write at your FTP for an hour, that's a training stress score of 100. So then you can kind of think about it and say, okay, well, if I normally ride, let's say at 75% of IF, or of FTP, sorry, so an IF of 0.75. And so if I did that for an hour, um, you'd basically add a normalized power of FTP, or sorry, normalized power of that 0.75. Then I would come out to 75, right? Or whatever it is, the, you know, kind of you for that hour worth of workout, right? So it kind of normalizes that um, that score to an hour's worth of all-out effort, if that kind of makes sense. So it is possible to get more than 100 if you go longer than an hour. And so that's kind of the, as Dave was mentioning earlier, Dave was alluding to, is the um, the time component of it. So the longer you go, the more training stress you accumulate. Um, and so that that kind of can get you over the 100. The other way that you can get kind of a higher number, higher TSS number is if your normalized power is, you know, significantly different than your, you know, significantly higher, I guess, than... So you can you can kind of yeah, play so, with so, that number. So you, so you might see that in um I guess it's two examples. Last time we talked about in um variability index, which is average power compared to normalized power. And so on one end of the spectrum, you have a time trial where you're trying to be, let's say it's a flat time trial. So your goal is to go as steadily as possible, and your av your normalized power and your average power are going to be pretty similar. And so let's say you do that and you went at FTP and you end up with 100 TSS. On the other end of the spectrum, you've got a criterium where it's on off the entire time. You end up with a way higher normalized power, a variability index of like 1.2 or higher. Well, then you might end up with 120 TSS because it's going to say that actually it was like the metabolic cost was higher than sitting at FTP. Um as a general guideline, we can say that if you're ending up with more than 100 TSS for one hour, it might be an indication that your threshold is set too low. But like we just said, with really variable workouts, you have to take that into account too. And so you can't always just say, oh, my normalized power was this, so that's my new FTP. Because when we're talking about FTP, we're talking about steady state exercise. We want to know what's your max sustainable effort in a quasi steady state. So going as hard as you can for 30 seconds and then recovering for 60 seconds isn't what we're after. Right. <laughs> and I think like one of the one of the things that you know it was created for is to try and gauge 
um, generally like kind of the aerobic like impact or stress, I guess. Um, so the stress on the body of a workout, a very, these varying types of workouts. So you can get stress by going really, really long and easy. You can get stress by going short and very, very hard. And you can get stressed with these variable type of workouts where you may have different zones throughout the, throughout the workout. And so it tries to kind of give a general stress score to, to kind of see what that impact of that workout was. And, it, and it's, you know, to its credit, I, I think it's been adopted uh, pretty well over, um, like you said, there may be different names for it, like suffer score, training stress score, which I believe is copyrighted by training peaks, but there's, you know, there's other names for it. X score, I think is another one that I've seen before. So there's the same kind of thing. So, yeah. Yeah. And you bring up a really good point too, talking about how you can, you can achieve a hundred TSS different ways, right? Like you can have one hour at threshold is pretty damn hard and it's going to hurt a lot. That would be a hundred TSS. You could also go out and do a three hour ride at a pretty moderate pace and end up with a hundred TSS. And so those aren't the, those aren't the same ride. And I think that brings up a really important point where not all TSS is created equal in that you could have the same workouts with the exact same TSS score, but they all, are kind of achieving different things. And so I think it's really important to keep that in mind is that just because the TSS is the same, doesn't mean you're accomplishing the same thing with that workout. So then the next thing to consider is how do we use these scores? So, so first off we can kind of compare similar workouts and see like how they compare um, training stress wise but then we can take this a step further by using the performance management chart. If you've seen that, it's 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 in Training Peaks. Um, other places, like we mentioned, will have different versions of it. I I think. What does uh, Strava call it? Like fitness history or something like that. Uh, oh, I don't remember what Training they call load. it. Now. They've yeah, they've changed. I think they've changed the name. Now they they have changed theirs a little bit too because I think a lot of it's heart rate based now as well. But the same kind of concept applies. And so if you think of like kind of the purpose of it, so you have dual purposes. You have the purpose of the individual training stress, right? Which is you know athletes, coaches, they can look at it over time and they can say, okay, what is the what is my response to this kind of load, right? And so that's where the PMC chart is really that's kind of the the benefit, right? Is it just shows you over time how much load or how much stress you can withstand. Um, and so if you kind of chart all of these, let's see the way Cogden originally uh, envisioned this was it wasn't to be shared with between sports. So a right. lot of times, and, and we can get in this in a minute, but a lot of times you have this combined PMC chart and everybody's all excited about it, but every sport is a little different and you might, Certain athletes may be able to handle some stress in cycling one way, some stress in running one way, some stress in a different sport, a different way. And so originally it was kind of for a specific sport, you look at the TSS over time, um, kind of charted out and how much load that you can you can take. And so to do that, um, Cognon came up with, and I believe, yeah, I believe it was Cognon came up with this PMC chart concept. Um, uh, performance management chart to to kind of 
give this high level overview um, that you can review over the course of a season or multiple seasons and say, okay, for this particular athlete, they respond best, meaning they have a key performance or they have some kind of breakthrough workout or whatever it is uh, in these certain, like certain kind of situations, meaning they've had some amount of load ramp and then they've either taken time off or whatever it is, but they can kind of see the patterns uh, in, you know, coaches or, or athletes can see the patterns in their chart and say, okay, um, I need to start building for this season. I've done it before. I know what's successful. I can do that. Or I know what wasn't successful and I may need to change it up and, and kind of change some of these variables. So um, yeah, Dave, if you want to jump into, let's say, let's start with probably CTL as uh as kind of the first you know it's a tss based metric so you have tss on each workout and then you pull that together to create this kind of ctl line right and i'm I'm just going to take a step back because i the chart is called the performance management chart and i kind of don't like that and I, i really don't like that over the last few years training peaks taking it to calling the blue line fitness and the red line fatigue and the yellow line form. And I don't really look at it like that with my athletes. I'd rather call it a training load management chart because that's really where I think it has the most benefit is it tells you how much training you've been doing and how consistent you've been. And so just because you have a lot of training load doesn't necessarily mean you're going to perform because it doesn't say anything about the type of workouts you've been doing. Um, And we'll come back to that. But uh, sorry to jump in, but that's a good point. That actually was Strava originally started that. Uh, so they, when they kind of did their version of this chart, it was stress form. Uh, what was it again? <laughs> stress, stress, fitness form and fit, fitness form, fitness, and, fatigue and form. Yeah. Yes, fitness fatigue and form. And it was popular because it was simple, right? Uh, and so people go, oh, okay, well. I just need to get more fit. So I just need more load, right? Like to get more fit. And so you just keep driving to that number. So it was popular. Um, but like you mentioned, uh, not accurate. And if you ask Coggin, like he would definitely, (laughs) uh, I believe anyway, that he would definitely, uh, disagree with the, the naming convention that training peaks adopted there. So, yeah. And and it's, I, I like to look at it as like, it's not fitness in the way that we would think about it as athletes as fitness. It's not like the higher the number is, the faster you are. What I see, it's like your ability to handle training stress. So the higher that blue line is, the more training load you can handle. And so that gets us into the blue line. It's called CTL, which is chronic training load or long-term training load. And what it's doing is it's looking at a ex- exponential exponentially weighted average of the last 42 days of training. And the reason it's exponentially weighted is it takes the accounts you've done recently more into account and the uh, workouts, did I say account, takes the workouts you've done recently more into account and weights them more heavily than stuff you did six weeks ago. Meaning if you do really hard workouts the weekend, that's going to have a bigger impact on your fitness and your fatigue than workouts you did six weeks ago. And so by doing that exponentially weighted average, it ends up actually being like looking at the last three months of training and seeing what kind of impact that's had on you. 
And and it's worthwhile to note that that forty two days is a is a baseline setting. Uh, so in trading, that can actually be changed, right? So it's like anything; it's it's kind of an analytics chart, right? And so it's not set in stone that it's going to be forty two days. In fact, I think there's papers and and soccer and other things where they use thirty five days or whatever it is. And so there's different kind of time periods, and and I think originally. Um, it was meant to kind of fine tune that for the athlete, right? So that, you know, if this athlete responds very quickly or adapts really quickly to load or whatever, you may kind of shorten that or whatever, uh, or if they, they kind of lose fitness really quickly, you know, it may change. Or if they have been working out and they're just really have a baseline of fitness that lasts a long time, they may not lose it as fast. Right. And so you can have these kind of different metrics uh, or different, uh, I guess, lengths of time for that, um, for that equation. Um, and, and so it wasn't, I don't believe it was supposed to be a hard and fast 42 day rule right off the, right off the bat. Yeah. And, and where that comes from is when you look at the literature, a lot of adaptations take between six and eight weeks. And so they just kind of, or four to eight weeks rather. And so they just kind of went with the median time and was like, okay, let's call it six weeks. But to your point, different adaptations have different time course. And so, aerobic adaptations as well, right? And so right. that's, uh, yeah. So I, I think that's another thing, like that. You know, as you start to think about this for you know implementing with your athletes, or if you're an athlete looking to implement it in your yourself, is is to kind of look at your responses to these and say, like, okay, well, is that is that number accurate for me? Is that something that I need to? to maybe adjust over time, you know, you don't do it right away, but as you start to kind of understand your response to these things. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, I've played with that and I've tried it with different athletes and stuff, but the thing that I think is a really important takeaway is that the human body is so complex and there's so many confounding variables. And so it's like, we try to come up with these things. Like you said, is like, Oh, we want to look at last year and be like, Oh, I did this last year and I had a great performance. So I'm going to replicate that this year. Well, guess what? You're a year older. Maybe the conditions in your body have changed a little bit. Maybe like hormone levels are like all these things that we can't account for. And so it's not like, we're just not a machine that we can't just replicate things by doing the same thing over and over again. And, And there's these other confounding variables that don't get accounted for like your life and sleep and like all these other things happening outside of training that aren't accounted for in this chart, even though people have tried, they want to give, you know, how stressful was my day? I'm going to give it this, you know, give it this score. And then how much did I sleep? I'm going to give it this score. And that's what everybody wants, but it's like, it's just so complicated that it really becomes this like very broad brushstroke, which is why I go back to like, it's training. Well, this is how much you've been training. It doesn't speak to how you're going to perform or how you feel. that's why we need to measure it with like subjective comments and feedback. And you, you you can look at it too. Yes. Last year I was able to, uh, if you're looking at you kind of historically last year, I was able to achieve X amount of load, right? Like I was was able to achieve this much kind of the CTL, right? Like I was able to do that, but then you have to think about what you just said. It's like, okay, well, what state of mind was I in last year? What was my job situation like? What was my family situation like? What, you know, what other of these outside variables was I sleeping well? 
were leading to me being able to achieve that. Cause if I'm just trying to hit a number, which I think a lot of people do is they go, Oh, I got to get to 140 or I got to get 120 or I got to get to hundred or whatever the, the number is, you know, that's, that's kind of a recipe for, um, you know, potential failure or, you know, it's kind of setting, it's not setting yourself up for success. You should look at it and say, okay, given my current situation that I'm in or my current level of training or workload or outside forces, you know, what am I able to do and still be healthy and still be, you know, able to, to perform. Right. So, um, yeah. And, and you just touched on, I think one of the most important things and something I harp on with my athletes all the time is like, it's based on my experience and I've been coaching for a while now, like the most important key to success is consistency and you achieve consistency by staying healthy and staying motivated and being able to train weekend and week out. And so chasing this arbitrary number is a recipe for burnout or like you said, life happens constantly, whether the kids have something going on at school or the kids get sick or, you know, you get sick, like it's going to take a step back, but just because your CTL or that blue line falls seven points, did you really lose that much fitness over the course of three days? Probably not. Um, so it, it just has to be taken kind of in context and with a grain of salt that it's a good guide to show how much you've been training recently and what you've done in the past, but it shouldn't become the goal necessarily. One thing that I, I also like to really emphasize and a lot of people don't, I guess they don't kind of realize it, right? Like it's, let's say you're doing some kind of structured training plan. Uh, and I know trainer road has a lot of this and they do a lot of the sweet spot work kind of, uh, throughout their training plans. And if you're starting off from relatively low CTL or low average load, it's very easy to ramp up quickly to a certain amount, but you're going to be, it's a time limited function. Like the more time you have to train, the higher your CTL is going to be, even if you're doing very low, you know, low percentage. So low IF it's very time dependent. So somebody that can train 15 hours a week is going to have higher CTL than somebody that can only train eight hours a week. Like it's just going to happen because there's going to be a kind of a reversion to the mean or like a, a kind of move to the mean on the IF for your weekly IF. You just can't go hard all the time. And so exactly. you're, you're going to, it's going to plateau. So if you, if you're trying to hit that number and you just don't have the time. And so you're doing, you know, you're trying to squeeze in the most amount of TSS within the time that you have you're going to plateau and you don't want to get frustrated with that. You don't want to have that be a motivation killer. Like you were mentioning earlier, you you have to kind of know the components of it so that you can say, okay, if I only have six to seven hours a week to train, you know, this is the kind of numbers that I can get to. I'm not going to get to 120 CTL. I'm not going to get to 140 CTL. I'm like, I'll get injured. Like it just doesn't work. And so, um, so it's just something to kind of be cognizant of, uh, and why another reason why not to to set that goal at oh I've got to hit this specific number right yeah and I so with that I th- think you bring up so many things that need to be addressed. One is like you just said, everybody has a ceiling. So whether you have six hours a week to train or 20 hours a week to train, you you're going to hit a ceiling eventually. And so the goal is not for the blue line to go up 
all the time, right? Like it, it's going to plateau at some point. And it's common to see it fall. And I see this, um, especially when people are racing like cyclocross. So it's like, we might have a good build in the late summer into the fall and you get the CTL really high, but then you start racing and you're racing twice a weekend and you like get into this race recover cycle. Well, you just can't do the volume. And so that CTL is going to start falling a bit. And so what, like I said, with it being a measure of training load, it can be a good indication like, okay, maybe you're starting to lose some of that aerobic fitness. And so we might have a break like halfway through racing season where it's like, just go ride as much as you can for the next week and a half just to bring the CTL back up again. Um, so that's one part of it. The other part of it is because you mentioned trainer road, it becomes this equation where people are like wanting to solve for why. And that just doesn't work. It's like, if you're missing a workout because you're too tired to do it, ratcheting up the intensity the next day to hit your TSS or going longer to hit your TSS goal probably is a recipe for burnout or disaster as well. And so you have to work with what your body's given you. And like, you just can't have this arbitrary number out there, which brings me to my last point, some common numbers that I see. And and we've talked about this before. You can easily calculate what your CTL is going to be. Just if you, if we know how long or how much you time you have available to train, we can pretty easily calculate what your um, CTL would be. But common numbers that I see. If if you've got six hours a week, you're probably going to top out around like 50 to 60 CTL. If you've got 10 hours a week, you're probably going to get around 80 CTL. And for the guys racing the pro tour, they're getting up to 120 to 130 because they're riding 20 to 30 hours a week. So just keep that in mind too. Um, I, I guess one last takeaway that I have here is from my perspective, the CTL number becomes important for people doing really big races or stage races with the idea being you're going to your race, whatever it's going to be is going to be a lot of training stress. And so we want to ramp up your ability to handle training load as high as possible. And so this kind of falls back to the old idea of like having a big base and the higher, the the bigger, the base, the higher, the peak. If you're going to be doing some crazy event like unbound then you want to have as much, you want to fortify your ability to handle training load as much as possible so that it doesn't take it out of you as much as it would if you had a 60 CTL. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it, it, it kind of goes back to our very first, I think, podcast we're talking about training for the race, right? Like, and so um, you build this huge base. And then, as you mentioned earlier, a, a big base is not bad, especially if you're doing it in the off season or in the, in the low season, because even if you go and do like crits or you do something else, now you can, it's okay for your CTL to drop. If you start doing more specific, you know, specificity towards the actual race. And so for unbound, that specificity would still just be long, right? Like you're just, right. just keep going long. But if you're starting to do, you know, even crit racing or any of these other things, and you really start to like dial it in, your CTL is going to go down because you're starting to add more intensity into those, you know, more intensity and specificity, same thing for mountain biking or these other, you know, kind of, um, variable type type races where cyclocross, especially where you're going all out for 45 minutes an hour or whatever it is. And you just have to like, you know, you're pretty much at threshold, uh, heart rate rise the whole time and your power is going to be very fluctuating. Right. And so, 
um, it's natural to see your CTO go down and that's not a bad thing. So like, I, I think I used to see this, uh, when we were at training peaks, we'd go out to Ironman like in Hawaii and you would talk to the, uh, you talk to all these athletes and all of them, of course, are using training peaks as their coaches are all using it. They're, you know, getting their workouts and stuff, but very few of them understood any of the performance management chart and so many of them would come and go, Oh, I just like to see the blue line go up. <laughs> exactly. It's like, ah. And it's like, I mean, for Ironman, that's not bad. Right. Because, you know, it's a very long, low, you know, relatively low energy ish kind of effort, uh, but over a very, very long time, but it's just the, nobody understood what the actual like benefit of what that was. They just like to see it go up over time. Um, and so I, I think like, that's a, you know, this kind of thing where you can start to understand it. And, you know, ideally the coaches are understanding it and, and like relaying the information to their, to their athletes. But I, I think the athletes can really benefit from understanding the, that these metrics are just, they're just analytics. They're just showing you what you've done. Right. right. <laughs> they're not like, it's not a predictive type thing. It's, you know, it's literally just showing you a different view of the work that you've been doing. Exactly. And I think you brought up another point too, here with um, talking about those Ironman athletes. It's, this is one of the reasons I hate calling that blue line fitness because fitness does not happen during the overload period right? Training is all about applying a stress to an athlete so that it stresses the system and then backing off that stress so that the, so that the body will adapt and become stronger so that it can better handle that stress going forward. And so by always wanting that blue line to go up, you're just always applying stress to the organism yourself, but never adapting. And so we want to see that blue line come down every now and then so that you can adapt to it. Okay, so now the next um, line that we need to talk about with the performance management chart is the pink one on Training Peaks, um, and this is called the ATL, acute training load, so short-term training load, and this is looking at the last seven days, also weighted so that um, more recent workouts have more of effect than longer workouts or older workouts rather. This can be a measure of fatigue, meaning that it's going to be a more instantaneous impact. Whereas the CTL, it's going to take a while for that blue line to go up. But the ATL, as soon as you do a workout, if you did a big weekend, that ATL is going to shoot up, which is an indication of what kind of impact it had on your fatigue. But it's also going to fall a lot quicker. Um and then the last one here is the yellow line, which is TSB or training stress balance. And that's really just the difference between your CTL and ATL to give you an idea of how fresh you are or how, how ready to perform you are. And so that's something that we can actually start to use to try to hone in on where you perform best. But I have to say that it's, it it varies wildly from athlete to athlete. And as we mentioned before, conditions are constantly changing. So just because you performed well last season at a TSB of positive 10 doesn't mean you'll perform this season 
well at a po- at a TSB of positive 10. But I like to use it as a indication for when an athlete needs some recovery. So let's say that I've been training somebody and their TSB has been like negative 10 to negative 20 for three weeks, four weeks. That tells me it's time to come up for error. So like we were talking about, the whole point is adaptation and getting stronger. So we need to back off the load, let the CTL come down a bit, let the yellow line go up and become positive. That allows the athlete to recover, adapt to the training and get stronger before we apply a greater load going forward. Yeah, I think uh, Joe had a rule of thumb, right? Like every X weeks, you have to touch zero or something like that, or, or you go positive. And and, um, it, and I think when you set up, you know, when when you're looking at the training, that tends to hold relatively true. Like you know, that general rule of thumb over years it tends to tends to kind of hold true that you can only sustain this negative, especially those high, like you said, negative ten, negative twenty. Um, for so long before you're risking injury, you're risking burnout, all the things that we, we've kind of mentioned before. And so coming up to breathe and, and allowing yourself to recover, which it's hard mentally for some athletes because... Because your fitness is going down on the line. The blue line's going down. It's going down and oh no, it's like, you know, and, and uh, yeah. And so it's, but it's needed because you have to allow time to adapt to that new load. So as you increase the load, your body has to adapt to it. So you have to have to allow time, you know, both physically and mentally to recover for that. And some people that number may be, especially at the beginning, right? If you're, if you're just getting off the couch, for instance, and like, I, I can relate to this because I've been doing this for the last two days. <laughs> I need to look at my training load <laughs> or the last two weeks. So I need to look at my training load and my TSP. But, you know, if you're just getting out, off, like it, it's really easy to get those negative numbers really quickly because you're doing anything is going in a, sh- you know, in a short period of time, you haven't had that chronic load buildup and you're having all this acute, you know, training load. And so you have kind of this, in the last seven days, you've been, you know, you've ramped it up probably maybe faster than you should. And you're way down in the negatives. Right. And so it's just something to be cognizant of that, you know, you've got to allow your body time to, to come around to that stress that it's not used to in a while. Well, and you bring up a, I mean, you've brought this up a couple of times now, and it's the point of diminishing returns, and it's a very real thing, and we see it with training. Somebody that's brand new to training, those first three years of training seriously, you're going to see so many gains because it's new to you, and it's really easy to make gains in the beginning. But as you get more experienced, it gets harder and harder to get faster. And so you, it kind of plateaus, and yeah, you'll see gains every now and then. And that's what this performance management chart is showing you is that as you get more fit, it gets harder to become more fit. And the only way to make that blue line to go up or continue to go up is to add more training load. And so if you've been training four hours a week, great. If you've been doing nothing, like you said, you're off the couch. Now you start training three or four hours a week. Great. It's going to go up. But eventually after about six weeks, it's going to plateau. And so to continue getting faster, you're going to have to either add some intensity or add some more hours. But like Ryan was saying, you can only add so much intensity. You can't do an hour at threshold every day. If you, I mean, if you try it, it's probably going to last for like four days 
and then you're going to like kind of crack. Then you'll be back on the couch. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah. so the easiest way to add training load is through volume. And when we say volume, it's more hours. Um, so anyway, I just think that's such an important thing to realize is that that's why it's hard to make that blue line to go up. And that's why it can be a fool's errand is because you're going to run yourself into the ground because you only have so many hours available to train and you can only handle so much intensity. If you, uh, if you ever listened or watched, uh, always sunny in Philadelphia, <laughs> I was watching some of the, uh, blooper reels the other day. Yes. Okay. So it, Mac is one of the characters in this, in this show and he gained a ton of weight one season and then he comes back the next season and he's just shredded, just this massive, just like, just completely like ripped up and just, it looks like a superhero, right? Like just crazy muscular. And so he did like a little video slash podcast kind of answer question, answer thing the other day. Mm. And they asked him, how did he, he do that? And he said, Oh, it's super simple. He goes, now you don't have like a, you, do you have a nine to five job kind of thing? Yeah. You need to get rid of that. <laughs> and he goes, do you have, you know, you have family kids. Yeah. You're, you're not going to be able to talk to them. And then he's like, yeah. And you have your own chef, right? Because you're going to need that person to cook a lot of meals and a lot of chicken breasts all the time. And then you're going to need, and he just goes through this whole, whole thing. But the whole point was that to kind of reach these crazy numbers, like you're saying, and the, these, if you set these big goals or whatever, it takes a lot of time to get there and it takes a lot of, you know, it is not, it's not feasible for normal humans to go try and get 120 CTO on, you know, insight in a single sport because you have to be basically a professional. You, that's your job, right? right. And it becomes your job. So, um, you know, so, so trying to set those realistic expectations for the stage and training that you're at. So, like you said, if you're just off the couch, know that you can make some big gains early, but you still have to watch out because your body's not used to training. So, you know, be careful and mindful of those low TSP scores, making sure you take enough recovery, but it's easy to get three or four hours in in a week and have plenty of recovery time and still get some intensity, et cetera. But once you start to plateau, there's only so much intensity, like you said, that you can add, right? And if you're doing every workout, you know, let's say you get up to six hours a week and you're doing, you know, five hours of fairly high intensity, it is, you're still going to plateau and you're going to risk yourself burnout and you're going to risk injury and all those kind of things. So, um, the longer you go and the higher the TSS, the change of percentage of high intensity to endurance base, it just has to be there. Cause there's a, there's a, you know, there's a, a threshold or there's a, a capacity for right. high intensity. And then after that, you don't want to add anymore. You have to add volume. Well, I just saw something recently that somebody had posted and it, like, it's, it's so true. It's like professional athletes are typically doing two to three hard workouts a week yeah. and they're training 20 to 30 hours a week. And yeah. so why you, <laughs> uh, uh, not <laughs> superhuman athlete, like, why do you think you could handle more than that? You like, obviously there's a reason they default to that or that they like come back to that because that's what they've found they can handle. And the, the reason these people are professional is because they can recover really fast and they can handle more workload. Yeah. 
it, it's so it's so yeah it, it's i'm sure as a coach you probably run into this a lot but you know kind of an outside observer that has lived through that where i was like you get really really fast let's say you're training for a 5k you get really really fast if you always train at race speed and you know what you also do, you get injured like immediately. <laughs> and that was my fastest times where like, I was seeing all these gains and then I was like, Oh, I'll just add one more workout and I'll add one more hard workout. And it was like so dumb because then it, it, it ruins you for, you know, for a season or for two seasons or for three right. seasons. And, and so, um, yeah. And, and I think, you know, if you look at the Norwegian model, you look at any of these things, you look at any of these super, high-end uh professional athletes um or um who who's the runner that broke the two-hour mark oh can't it think should, his name it starts with a u eu it, it should come off yeah uh oh, yes yeah and so he runs a staggering amount like an insane amount over 100 miles a week and he does maybe one hard workout a week. Like his average run speed, I think it was, I have to convert it from kilometers, but it's like four kilometers an hour, right? Is his average training run speed. But his average race running speed is 2.3, you know, it's like, yeah. or sorry, or 2.3 minutes per kilometer. He's running four minutes per kilometer in training. And so, you know, whatever that that equates to, you know, seven, eight, eight minute miles or whatever in training, which I see a bunch of people out just on my daily. Like if I go out for a run, I see a bunch of people running that speed and I'm like, you know, there, this idea that you have to go hard all the time, you know, limits your capacity a lot of times. And you're, but the converse to that is you just don't have the time. You don't have the time to go out for, for that long. Well, and I think the other, and we're kind of getting off maybe a little bit off topic here, but it fits. Um, I, I think the other thing that people don't get, and this is something I harp on too, is like busyness is not productiveness. And so just because you can train more doesn't mean that it's necessarily productive training. If you're not allowing time for your body to recover and adapt to it, all you're doing is creating fatigue. And so I see that. And it's like one of my pet peeves is where people are sacrificing sleep Mm -hmm. and stuff like that so that they can do workouts. And it's like, well, if it was kind of pointless, you know, you, you stayed up to 10, you're at 10 o'clock, you're hopping on the train or doing this really hard workout and then getting like four to five hours of sleep. Mm -hmm. It's like, so you're tired all the time, but you're not really adapting or getting faster. So it's like, what is the goal of training? You know? And that's an interesting point because that's not going to show up in the PMC chart either, right? It may slightly show up in the TSB sort of, and, and I know we're trying to get us back on topic of TSB. Um, so it might kind of show up in that, but it, but those are those extra factors that, okay, whether you do your workout in the morning, super fresh, or you do it at 11 o'clock at night and you've been beat down from a whole day of work and then you don't get any sleep, the TSS is the same. And it's going to show up in the chart the same. And you're not, without those notes or without that context, you're not going to know whether a negative 10 TSB in this phase of my life this year is the same as a negative 10 TSB last year when I was super fresh and I had all this like, you know, I'm getting this great sleep and everything's great. 
So, and that just reminded me of something I wanted to bring up when we talked about TSS is like, let's say you're doing a three week training block. Your hundred TSS on day one, when you're fresh is not the same as your hundred TSS on day 21 when you're carrying fatigue or even within the same week, right? If you did the exact same workout Tuesday and Saturday, chances are Saturday is a little bit more stressful to your body because you've had four more days of load in between that. And so even though it's still a hundred TSS, it probably had a higher metabolic cost. Yeah. And I know that's kind of contentious point, uh, among, you know, the kind of the, the industry, if you talk to Coggin or something, or you talk to, you know, the WKO people and stuff, it, it's the stress is the stress. Your response to the stress is different. Right. But, but to me, I agree with you where it's like, but it's not like, yeah, exactly. It's, I agree. It, it's, it's, it's reflected in heart rate. If your heart rate right. is going up, you're like, we talked about this before when like we're exercising in heat, right? It's like, if you're doing a workout on Tuesday and you're had an average heart rate of 130, but then you're doing the same power on Saturday, but you have an av- uh, average heart rate of 135, 140, 145. It's like, your body's working harder. Something's going on, yeah. whether you're dehydrated, your fuel, your glycogen, something's going on where your body's working harder for that same power. So, oh, and it, yeah, I, I 100% agree with it. It's just, we, there, and it could just be that there wasn't an easy way to pull that into the, to the chart, right? Because it, it doesn't show up in the power and the power number is the power number. So it doesn't show up. Um, and so I think that is also part of the reason why Strava went to mostly heart rate based, mm-hmm. um, uh, kind of whatever their version of the performance management chart is, um, is, is generally, I believe is generally heart rate based, um, in for that very reason, right? Because, you know, you're, it's going to show up that response will show up in the, in the heart rate, whether it's altitude or heat or just overall fatigue or sleep or whatever it happens to be right. And stress. Um, and so that's, that's one argument for kind of going to, to a heart rate based versus a, versus a, you know, power. Now there's other arguments against going to heart rate based. And so I know some places like today's plan and some others have come up with, uh, adjustments to TSS scores. And so this is something we, we didn't discuss earlier, but now that you kind of brought it up on that impact, it's, you know, you could have heat or acclimation or altitude acclimation based adjustments to the TSS score. Um, not only on best bikes, but we, we kind of do a little bit of that where, you know, if you, um, if you go from sea level and then now you're doing a race up in say Boulder or something like that. And in your area now at 5,000 or 6,000 feet, that impact of that, um, whatever your TSS you thought you were going to do down at sea level is probably not the TSS that you're going to be able to handle at that altitude for the same race. So it's just something to, at least not at the same intensity factor, you might, right. you, you may be able to get that same TSS, but it may take you 20 minutes longer. And so, and at a lower, lower, um, yeah, at a lower percentage of your FTP. Yeah. And, and this just goes back to, we kind of mentioned it in the beginning where all TSS is not created equal. And so I I think that's something that gets missed sometimes, right. Is like doing 
an hour all out is not the same as doing a three hour zone two ride, even though they're hundred TSS. And so really thinking about what is, what is the ultimate goal of that workout? It's not just about accumulating training stress by any means possible. Think about what you're trying to accomplish. Um, and so that applies with the whole altitude thing where it changes the complexion of the workout. Um, so I guess let's wrap this up. Um, I think the big thing for me, like my big takeaways here are one, all models are wrong, but some are useful. And so you got to take it with a grain of salt Two, the right training load for you is what you can consistently do recover from and adapt to. So rather than looking at what other people are doing on Strava and stuff like that, like how many hours they're doing, how much, like who, who's to say they don't have their FTP set wrong. And that's why their CTL is so high. Right. But we shouldn't be chasing arbitrary numbers with me and my athlete. Like my goal for CTL is as high as we can get it within the context of your life. Right. And so we want you to be healthy, adapting to it and consistent. So I never set a goal and saying like, oh, this is what we're going to do. Um, and then the last thing, like we just mentioned, is not all TSS is created equal. So you have to take into account what the goals of the workout are um, and what you're trying to accomplish. And I guess the last thing, even though I just said that was the last thing, is solving for TSS, in my view, is a pretty bad way to go. I, I would rather look at where the athletes are at on each day and then apply load accordingly versus just shooting for some arbitrary number and <laughs> jamming it down their throat. No, I mean, I, I agree with all of that. I think the, the one thing that I would add is just something you mentioned is we have to remember that TSS and CTL and ATL and TSB are all derivatives of, you know, setting your FTP in the beginning too. So, you know, it, it's all of these things, all these like downstream power metrics come and, and you mentioned maybe they didn't have their FTP set. So you see this huge number, you know, in, in the CTL. And so, you know, accurate testing kind of tying it all the way back to the, the first podcast in this series, having accurate testing, making sure that your number this year is the number that you're at this year, maybe not the number that you're at at the end of last year. Right. And so that way that you, you know, all these downstream analytics, again, they're just views into what you've been doing um, are calculated at least as close to accurately as possible. Right. So um, that you're not chasing a number that's based on, you know, even if you have, were chasing numbers, if it's based on bad initial inputs, then, then, you know, you're, it, you're kind of doing a double, <laughs> a double negative or whatever. You're like, you're, you're doing two bad things, I guess. So and in this case, it doesn't like equal a right thing. Right. So just make sure that the underlying data that you're using the underlying like mechanisms and stuff for, for kind of your testing protocols and stuff are, are good. And then, you know, to reiterate the point that Dave said, it's, it's look at yourself and set, you know, you or your coach set your goals based on where you are today, not this number that you think you need to hit. And so in the results of that, you'll see in the, in the PMC chart, right? So the results right. of that 
good consistency, coaching, not getting injured, kind of following through with the plan. You'll see that in the chart versus trying to make your chart look like something. Right. Exactly. Um, and I, I just want to add one more thing because you're just talking about setting FTP. I was watching a video on the uh, Norwegians the other day and they were doing early season testing after two months off, basically like they'd have their um, off season. And I, I can't remember which one was saying it, but basically like they had the camera on him and they're like, Oh, what are the numbers? What? And he's like, it's, it's just a snapshot. These aren't for show. It's like, it's just so that I can see where I'm at. So I know how to adjust my training. And, and that's where I think people get caught up with the FTP thing is it's a piece of their identity. <laughs> and so yeah. we don't want it ever to go down. But a pro tip is if you like have a lower FTP, then the CTL is going to accumulate a lot quicker in the beginning. And so, so it's good yeah. to have a lower FTP at the end of off season. So you're not having to work as hard to get that CTL back up. Right. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, just be realistic with yourself. Like you said, it's a snapshot. FTP is a snapshot. The performance management side chart is a historical set of historical snapshots that are kind of woven together. Right. And so, um, and so, you know, kind of look at it that way versus this kind of like predictive, Oh, if I hit this CTL, I'll be able to do X, Y, Z. Right. Right. And and maybe you just gained a lot of strength and your FTP is a lot higher, but you know, now your CTL is going to grow slower potentially, especially if you don't have, uh, if you don't have the, the time to put in the volume. Right. Cause as you mentioned, I think again on these Norwegians and, and I know I've seen this with others as well is that, they're doing like 6% of their, of their total volume at high intensity. Mm. So, you know, you have 80, 20 and 80, 20 is great for lower volumes. Right. But the higher the volume, the 20 doesn't change, but the total volume changes. Like the amount of time that you were in that 20 doesn't really change. It's two to three hours, you know, two hours a week or whatever. But then as you get to 20 hours a week, that's now 10%. And if you get to 25 hours a week, you know, that's now 7%. So the longer you train, they're not adding in more intensity. They're just adding in more volume. So just kind of keep that in mind that, you know, there's, there is a threshold for everybody. And, you know, no matter how much we want, and I do this all the time, we want to be super special and have this super awesome recovery ability. <laughs> it's just not real. And so, uh, so something to keep in mind when you're, when you're looking at how the makeup of TSS and your CTL is. Okay. Awesome. Well, next time we will uh, talk about what we said we were going to talk about this time, which is just kind of our grab bag of things we left off. So decoupling, efficiency factor, all the other metrics you're seeing, you know, in the, the rate all the other of measurables. Of listenership, the chance of me making it to it next time. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. Um, all right. Well, thanks for your time. And uh, yeah, talk to you soon. Bye. Keep on keeping. <laughs> <laughs>